that song is a perfect transition into the, the message today, looking at Galatians 4, 21 through 31. Faultless, we stand before the throne. So let me ask you a question. And when I ask you, answer it to your own self quietly. But don't think, yeah, I wonder what that person's thinking or that person's answer is. I want you to think, what is your answer to this question? What, when you stand before the throne, is the basis of you being able to stand there faultless? I mean, when you, when, if the Lord were to ask you, standing at His throne in Judgment Day, I require faultless. I require perfection. I require righteousness. What is the basis of your righteousness? What would your answer be? That's the point of the book of Galatians. That's the point of the gospel. That's the point. How you answer that question is the most important question humanity will ever answer. And Paul has been working through the book of Galatians. And just to review what he's been doing in this letter, he, in the first two chapters, said, Hey, guys, I have authority here. You can trust what I'm saying because... Not because I got it from man, not because I'm a part of a religious hierarchy, but because the resurrected God-man, Christ, appeared to me and told me this gospel message. And it radically transformed my life. The Spirit of God has transformed me. And instead of killing believers, Christians, now I am one. I I am an ambassador for Christ. And I didn't get this message from the other apostles, but I have found out since then that the other apostles have the same message that they got from Christ separately. So we're preaching the same message. And that is that your righteousness comes only through faith in Christ. It's that simple. And he spent the next two chapters unpacking that concept. He unpacked the concept that your righteousness before God is only something that you can inherit. He continues to use this idea of being a child of God means being a child of Abraham because he's talking to these Jews who came into the Galatians and are saying, wait, whoa, 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 you're not righteous just because you have trusted in Jesus. We're the children of God. We're the children of Abraham. How dare you think that you are children of God, children of Abraham, just because you believe in Jesus. That's not enough. You have to be a part of the religious elite, the religious community of the Jews. You have to take on our religion. Jesus is not enough. You have to have Jesus and our religion to be right with God. And Paul says, absolutely not. He says, Let's talk about who the real children of Abraham are. He says the real children of Abraham are not children of Abraham by uh, lineage. Not children of Abraham because they've got the laws. Not children of Abraham because they live in the city Jerusalem. The real children of Abraham, the real children who inherit righteousness, are those who have the faith of Abraham. The faith that God would deliver that promised seed, that promised child who would be the Messiah who would bring righteousness to all humanity, the faith in Jesus Christ. That's the real children of Abraham. And so a few weeks ago, we would have asked the question, who's your daddy? Is your daddy Jesus? Or I mean, is your daddy Abraham? Who's really your daddy? This week, it's who's your mama? It's high theology. This is deep. Who's your daddy? Who's your mama? That's what he's talking about today. He's going to spend this last verse today is, 
wrapping up this middle section of the, of the letter. The first two chapters were, believe what I'm saying. The second two chapters is, here's the gospel. And the next two chapters at the end of the book are, so what? What are the implications? What does this freedom that we have in Christ produce in our lives? So today we're looking at Galatians 4, 21 through 31. And he's going to drive home the final point of this gospel, that your righteousness comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's not something that you get right and then move on to religious practices to be right with God as a believer. It's the place that you stay. You're made right with God by faith in Christ, and daily you're made right with God by faith in Christ. And so today he's going to drive home that point. Look what he says in verses 21 through 31 of Galatians chapter 4. He's speaking to the Galatians who have started to believe this idea that they need to keep the religious laws. They're under the law. He's trying, they're trying to put themselves back under the law. He says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written, Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants. One proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, You who are not in labor, for more numerous are the children of the desolate woman. More, more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren... Like Isaac are children of the promise. But as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So it is now also. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. Father, please help us work through this material to understand the material very clearly. It's complicated, yet very straightforward at the same time. And we ask that your Spirit will bring the truth of these Scriptures to bear on our hearts. And it's in Christ that we ask this. Amen. Okay, so let's work through the text. The first thing we see is in verse 21, referring to the Galatians who have experienced salvation through faith in Christ alone, but then later had these Jews come in and go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, y'all are not good enough to be called children of Abraham, children of God. You've got to also be good religious Jews. He says to, Paul comes to those Galatians who are starting to buy that lie, and he says, wait a minute, you who want to be under that law, do you not realize what the law says? And what he's saying there is you who want to be under that Mosaic law again, do you not realize what the, 
the scriptures that, that, that we know as Hebrew, the Hebrew scriptures were law, prophets, writings. He's saying, do you not realize what the scriptures say about that law? And it's a rhetorical question because he doesn't give him a chance to ask it. And then he begins to answer immediately. And he says, now let me tell you what the scriptures say. Three statements about you who want to rely on your own righteousness to be right with God. And we see this, this is what the outlines the passage for us. Look down in verse 22. He says, for it is written. And then he says it a second time in verse 27. For it is written. And then he says it finally again in verse 30. Well, what does the scripture say? In essence, Paul is, is preaching an expositional sermon on what the Old Testament especially Genesis, has to say about the gospel to those who think that their religion, their righteous efforts are going to make them right with God. So if you are here today and you think that your being here is checking off something and earning a little tally mark with God, Paul is especially speaking to you. Or if you're here today and you're thinking... I don't want to be here. I'm not good enough. Paul is especially speaking to you. What does he say to those of us who have righteousness, self-righteousness rising up in our hearts constantly? The first thing he says is to the prideful group who thinks that they are good enough or can be good enough for God. He says, you are, first of all, a slave to your efforts. And secondly, you're not even a child of God. To the religious elite, to those who are really, really good at religion. They've got it all figured out. They've memorized half the Bible. They don't miss a Sunday. They've given up on anything else. It is, I am going to be good at religion. If they think that's what makes them right with God, he's saying to them, you're not even a child of God. You're enslaved to your religion. Let's look at where I get that from in verses 22 through 26. Turn in your Bibles to verses 22 through 26. He says, For it is written, Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. The son of the bondwoman was born according to flesh. The son of the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking for these women are two covenants. One proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now, if you get what he's saying at this point, you're going to say, Wow. Now, this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And it corresponds to present-day Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. All right, so let's work through what in the world is Paul saying. It's a very complex passage because he's taking an Old Testament passage in Genesis 16 and 17 about Abraham's two sons. And he says, all right, let's take that and let me turn it upside down to make my point. So what we need to do, first of all, is go through that Old Testament passage so we know what text he's working from. In the Old Testament passage, what he says in Genesis 16 is Abraham, God comes to Abraham and he makes him a promise. 
He says, Abraham, you're going to have a massive family. You're going to have all these children. And one of those child, one of those children is going to be the child of God, the Messiah, the God-man who will bring righteousness to all the planet. Everyone who trusts in your son will be saved and be declared righteous. And Abraham and Sarah looked at each other and said, do what? And she laughed. Laughed in disbelief. Why? Because first of all, she couldn't have children up to that point in her life. And second, they were well beyond childbearing age. And so they laughed in disbelief. And so God said, listen, I'm the God of the universe. I can handle this. I'm going to give you children. I'm going to get... He didn't actually say it this way in the Bible. This is paraphrase. All right. He said, I'm going to take care of this. Trust me. I got this. I can handle this. But what did they do in their own flesh? They decided we will bring about God's blessings, His promised blessings, through our own self-efforts. We can do this. We got this. And so Sarah comes to Abraham and says, Hey, you know we're not going to have a child. So why don't you go sleep with our servant, Hagar, and y'all have a child and we'll make this happen. God wants this. This is God's will. We're going to do this. We're going to achieve his blessings in our own strength. And so that's exactly what happens. Abraham and Hagar have a child, and that child is named Ishmael. Ishmael is the illegitimate child of Abraham because of an illegitimate wife who was a slave in the household, illegitimate child. Well, that's where they stood, and it caused a nightmare in the family because that was not God's will. It was never God's plan. I know you read about concubines and multiple wives in the Old Testament. It was not God's plan. It was tradition, but God in his scriptures makes it clear. One man, one woman, one wife. That's how it's designed. But we see the division that happened in that family because of their disobedience, because of their desire to try to bring about God's blessings, to try to earn it in their own strength. The Arabs and the Jews have been at war ever since Isaac and Ishmael. So Ishmael is the illegitimate son of a slave as a result of Abraham and Sarah trying to bring about God's will in their own means to achieve his blessing in their own strength. Fourteen years later, Abraham and Sarah. So you have Abraham and Hagar, the slave girl, man's attempt to achieve it on their own strength. Over here you have Abraham and Sarah, God's plan. Fourteen years later, miraculously become pregnant. She laughs again because it's a joyful laugh now. God supernaturally enables his blessings to be achieved in their life as the Spirit of God accomplished it. And so now Abraham and Sarah have Isaac. So you have legitimate family. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, illegitimate slaves, Abraham, Hagar, Ishmael. The two are at war still today. And so Paul takes this analogy and says, let's talk about this to make my point. And Paul flips it. Because over the ages, what has happened is the legitimate family came to be known as the Jews. The Jews were the legitimate heirs of God. They're the children of God. They had the law given to them through Moses. They were given the the promised land. They were given the city of Jerusalem in the heart of the promised land. And God is doing all this awesome stuff in these people. And they become prideful, self-righteous, religious elite. And they look down their self-righteous nose at these illegitimate dogs. In fact, not just the Arabs, but all Non-Jews are dogs. They're the filth of the earth. We are the true righteous ones. Because why? Because we've got Jerusalem. We've got the Mosaic Law. We've got 
dad is our dad's Abraham, our mom's Sarah. Your mama is a slave. Get out of here. And so Paul says, let's, let's revisit this. Let me take that and let me, figuratively speaking, all that's true, but let me, let me clarify something. He says, Abraham had two sons, one from a slave, one from his legitimate wife. And he says, guess what, Jews? You're the slaves. You're the slaves. You think you're all that self-righteous, high and mighty with your religion in Jerusalem. You are the slaves. You are in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is a city of people enslaved to their Mosaic religion. They are not the legitimate children of God. They are slaves. In fact, the children of God live in a new Jerusalem. They put their faith in the child of Abraham. They're living in the heavenly Jerusalem. They're the true legitimate children of God. You are nothing. And that's his first point that he's making here. He's looking at the righteous, self-righteous, religious elite who have looked down their nose at these people in judgmental attitudes and thinking that they're nothing because they're not Jews. They're nothing because they don't keep their religion. They're nothing because they're not doing what we've decided needs to be done. And Paul looks at them and says, you are the slaves to your own religion and you're not even children of God. He's targeting the prideful heart of the best religious people. Isn't that what you see all over the scriptures when Jesus came to town? What did Jesus do? He came and he hammered people. No, I thought he was this loving. No, read your Bible. He hammered people. But who was he hammering? People like us. People who had religion figured out. People who were really good at going to church and memorizing their scriptures and obeying the rules and being religious. He says, you disgust me when you think that that makes you right with God. Because it doesn't. And he went and he ate with these people. And he loved them. And he says, I came to save you. He says, I came to bring life to you. And he hammered on the religious elite. So the first thing that Paul is saying to us this morning, if you're sitting there and you think that you're coming to church, we're especially vulnerable here as a church, members of this church. What do we do? We spend six weeks talking about the importance of a covenant commitment to a body. And in that six weeks, we tell you, don't join lightly. Take it serious. Membership is serious. You're going to commit to a body of believers. You're going to commit to growing in the word and obeying the word. And you're going to commit to holding people accountable for righteousness to the glory of God. And you're going to take it seriously. And you're going to sign this covenant and you say, yeah, I'm in. If we ever think that that makes us one ounce of righteousness, we are embarrassing God. This is disgusting. It does not earn us one ounce of righteousness to join this church and to make a steadfast commitment, though it is vitally important. And that's the danger. It is so important to be in the body and connected and walking in holiness and bringing glory to God and obeying His scriptures, but not to earn righteousness, but because Christ earned you righteousness. 
And if we swap those, it's a destruction of the gospel. And it means, makes our whole church meaningless. I would rather you not be a member of this church. I would rather you not even put your name on this church if you think that this is earning you righteousness. It's not. And he's looking right at us square in the eyes. And he says, it doesn't earn righteousness. In fact, if you think joining this church and signing that covenant made you right with God, you are not right with God. So first, he does what he always does. He takes aim at the religious. So the first statement he says is, if you think that you're good enough to be made right with God, you are not right with God, and you are enslaved to whatever you think is making you right with God. Radical turning of the tables on the religious elite. So the first statement hits right the heart of pride that comes with self-righteousness. The second statement in verse 27 comes right at the heart of despair. The person who is in despair. He says, if you think that you are so bad that you can't be made right with God, then cheer up. You're better off than those who think that they're good at religion. This comes from verse 27. Again, he's saying, if you think you are so bad and so far gone that you can't be made right with God, he says, cheer up. You're better off than those who are really good at religion. Look at verse 27. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than the one who has a husband. What is he saying? This comes from Isaiah 54, 1. Isaiah was written about Israel who was in exile. And it's a picture of a barren woman because the husband has gone that she can have no children and she's sitting at the city gates. And God through Isaiah comes to her and says, Rejoice! Why? What is there to rejoice in such anguish? And the rest of Isaiah says, God says to the woman who says, my husband is left and I can have no children. He says, I am your husband and I will make you fruitful. Rejoice because God will bring about the life that you desire. And so here, Paul is saying to the Galatians who think, I'm no good, dregs of the earth, I've trusted Jesus, but I'm not good enough because I'm not in the religious elite. I need to keep the holidays. I need to keep the Jewish feasts. I need to be circumcised. I need to keep these laws to be good enough in God's eyes. And Paul looks at, him and say, looks at them and says, no, no, rejoice. And I say, well, what is there to rejoice about? Rejoice. First of all, you're better off than them because they don't even see they're bankrupt. They don't even realize how barren they are. They think that they've got this in the bag and they are nowhere near. But you are right where God wants you. God wants you humbled. Jesus came in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt. The the poor in spirit. God wants people who come to him and say, I've got nothing to offer you. I I can bring nothing in my hands to, to bring you to say I'm righteous. 
And he says, that's exactly where I am. But rejoice, O barren one, because Christ is your righteousness. What good news is that? That's the message of the church. That's the message of the church. It's not condemnation. You're going to hell because you're a sinner. It's rejoice because Christ is your righteousness. Isn't that good news? Isn't that, aren't you glad that that's the message that you're charged to take to the world? It's a message of love. It's a message that is, brings life where there is death. That brings hope where there is despair. That brings healing. So if you are here today and the sins of the past are haunting you. And you are like someone who I dearly, dearly love. And have been praying for at least 27 years. But he says, I just can't believe that he would save someone like me. And I'm like, that's the point. I can't believe he would save someone like me who had it all together. Surely he'll save you because he wants us bankrupt at his feet. That's the gospel message. If your sins of the past are haunting you in a different way, get over yourself. You're not that important that your sins would keep the death of Christ on the cross from saving you. Satan is using that against you to keep you from Christ. Satan is saying, you can't be a minister. You can't pray for others. You can't go to Christ. You can't go to Him for anything, much less salvation. And Christ says, yes, you can. Rejoice, O barren one. I am your righteousness. That is the good news of the gospel. Don't let Satan use the sins of your past to keep you from Christ. It is a lie, and it leads to death. So to the religious elite and prideful, he says, Get over yourself. You're nothing. Your righteous deeds are like filthy rags before the Lord. You think they're dogs? You think they're not children? You're the illegitimate slaves. And to the one in despair, broken over their sin and feeling like I can't, I'm not good enough. I can't go to church enough. They're all judging me. I can't be righteous enough. He says, get over yourself. It's not about you either. It's about Christ and his righteousness. Now get up, trust the Lord, rely on his promises and his declarations over you in Christ. And finally... He states in third statement, right, self-righteousness leads to pride. Self-righteousness leads to despair. Obvious conclusion, get rid of all self-righteousness. Look at verse 28 and following. You brethren are like Isaac to the Galatians who think they're not worthy and not good enough without the religion. He says, you're, you're like Isaac, you are the children of promise. But just like back then, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So it is also now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brothers, we are not children of the bondwoman, but the free woman. Paul brings these verses and these chapters to a conclusion by assuring the Galatians, if you've put your faith in Christ, 
You are righteous. You are faultless. You are completely accepted with God. And so you've got to cast out the self-righteous garbage. Human self-righteousness will always war against grace. Everything in our flesh rises up and says it can't be based on grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Surely I have to do something or surely I am too far gone. Paul says, get rid of all that. Whether it's false teachers who come in and try to judgmentally divide this church and say, you aren't a good enough Christian because you aren't fulfilling your covenant. You aren't good enough and they're in judgment and they're condemning and they're dividing and they're casting you down and they're looking down their self-righteous nose to Christ. To us, Christ says, get them out of the church. To yourself and your own heart when the self-righteousness rises up and either says, you're good enough because of what you're doing. Keep doing it. More, more, more. Or, you're not good enough because of what you've done. Give up. In both of those, we go to the gospel and we cast that out and we say, by the blood of Jesus Christ, I am righteous. And we preach that gospel to ourselves every day. That's the message of the gospel to your heart, to this church, and to the world. This weekend, Jared, our student and missions minister, led us to go to the abortion clinic and just peacefully stand on the sidewalk as a part of the 40 Days of Life campaign. Stand there and pray. Got a lot of us out of our comfort zone, wondering what's this going to look like. And a lot of our members showed up and spread out throughout, throughout the day. One of my greatest concerns about these kinds of things is I know statistically there's a good chance there's at least one, probably several people in our church that have had an abortion. And the concern I have is that they think when we stand for truth and life that we are condemning them. And that is not the message. So we were standing out there in the spirit of, I want to offer true hope. Can't stand the name of the clinic. It's called Hope. We want to offer true hope. And one of the guys who had taken his fiancée in was in the parking lot and he flipped us off. And we just stood there and I think someone said, God bless you, brother. And we stood there, and he was smoking his cigarette. He was a young man trying his best to look look right. He had his blazer. He had his pointy-toed dress shoes. He came over to us, smoking his cigarette, and he had this stone demeanor. Like, let's do this. And he came over, expecting a battle, and we heard him out, and then we said, we're not here to condemn you, man. We love you. We're here to offer you real hope in Christ. And Jared had explained that by this time of the day, everyone who was there about now had already been through in there all morning having the procedure. And so they were leaving 
having made that decision. And that changed the, the thought in our mind. And so with that in, in our mind, we just kept saying, Brother, we're not, we're not condemning. We're offering the love of Christ. We're offering you true hope. We want you to know we love you and we accept you because Christ has accepted us unconditionally despite what we've made, what decisions we've made in the past. And so if down the road, I said I respect your right to disagree with us, but if down the road this decision starts to haunt you, Christ and our church is waiting with open arms. He said, you know what? He said, I'm sorry I flipped y'all off. He said, I thought y'all were out here just telling me to go to hell. I said, no, man. It's not it. You see, that's what the gospel does. In love, it diffuses. And we're praying for Andy. That if down the road the Lord brings about conviction and repentance, he'll know that Jesus is going, come on, brother. I want all of you. That's the gospel message that we have to get in our hearts and then to go out these doors and to share it in love. We bring nothing to God. All we can say is, you promised to give me Jesus' righteousness. And that's all I can do is trust that you're going to honor that. Let's pray.